Hello and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, January 30th, 2015. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere using open web standards like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, REST, and JSON. This week, we talk about the difference between websites and web apps. And yes, there is one. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. Well, welcome, dear listener, to the middle of our Friday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nothing like waiting to the last minute to record. Yeah. Yeah. So today, actually, as a matter of fact, after this, I'm going to go down and uh, hopefully sign the papers for my office. Nice. After this week, hopefully, you won't hear Maggie screaming in the background. <laughs> so, this, uh, so live it up. This is your last yeah. chance. Yeah. Go at it, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, should we just jump into housekeeping? Yeah, let's go for it. I know this is a scintillating conversation already. Mm. KS is going to be gone next week, so we'll have to figure something out recording wise. I'm, I'm not, I'm not leaving until. Oh, next Thursday. Yeah. So we can, we can potentially do Thursday morning or, or Wednesday or whatever. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, great. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention in housekeeping is that there's still seats available for the February 12th uh, training class that I'm giving. That's an online class with, um, it's basically a phone gap class. So if you want to learn how to use HTML, CSS, and JavaScript to make, make App Store apps for iOS, Android, and Windows Phone, you can sign up for that at jonathanstark.com slash leap for make the leap to mobile. And uh, I don't think, I, I don't have anything else for housekeeping. That was all I had. No, I don't think I have anything. But we do have a bug report. We do, and it is a fun bug. Mm, well... Well, it was frustrating. So should I, you solve the bug, so I'll let you have the glory, but the, I can explain <laughs> what the, uh, <clears throat> the symptom was. Yes. So we're doing this thing for sticky albums where uh, we want to allow for a sort of parallax scrolling effect, uh, which as the dear listener knows, I just love. <laughs> um, but actually it's not a scroll jacking version of parallax and it's actually pretty nice. It, uh, it does. Add, I think it does add to the application, and since it's not, it's not really parallax. No, it's it's what I use on. Oh, I forgot to turn that off. <laughs> it's the same thing I use on my site. Where basically you just have a a, a background with an attachment fixed. Right, which uh, is pretty pretty cool effect. It's very easy to do, and it doesn't really screw up the scrolling at all. Which means that it's fine with me. Uh, it doesn't work on mobile really, so it's not. Um, it doesn't cause anything bad there either. So I kind of like it. It's it's easy. It it looks better, and, but it wasn't it was not working at all. So we had this. Um, we inherited a pile of code from Bootstrap and Flat UI and all that stuff. So there's a, a lot of CSS to look through. But for some reason, at uh, different breakpoints, the whole thing just would go completely haywire. Like the images would just be all over the place. Yeah, and then you'd reload the page, and they'd be in different places. Yeah, and then if you'd scroll, I mean, it was it was very weird. It was so weird that I was like, this can't be CSS. It's got to be some kind of JavaScript thing where like the math is being done wrong. And it's, it's just like, it looked like a math error. It was right. so ridiculous. So I finally gave up to gave up on it. And I was like, hey, Kelly, want to take a look at this. You've got it working on your site. Maybe we can get it working over here too. Like, oh yeah, it should be simple. <laughs> Four hours later. Yeah. But I love that. I love that you, the debugging technique that you, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I finally, I finally landed on the. Um, I mean, I, I'd spent hours like you 
looking through JavaScript, looking through CSS. And finally, I I'd finally narrowed it down to that it was a CSS bug, and I found out which style sheet it was in, but the style sheet was like 1,700 lines. <laughs> so I finally was just like, okay, I'm going to gonna take the nuclear option, and I deleted the whole style sheet, and I started adding it back one rule at a time until things broke. <laughs> and that one rule was? Uh, WebKit backface visibility. Uh-huh. I keep wanting to say backside visibility. <laughs> <laughs> so for people who are not familiar with WebKit backface visibility. Which I was not. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so there's two things that it's used for. The thing that it's really for and the thing that people use it as a hack for. So in uh, when you use CSS transforms, you can flip stuff over. Like so you can take an element and flip it, uh, you know, on either the, the Y or um, X axis and see the back of it. So like if, <clears throat> if it's a text element and you flip it over, the text is backwards and uh, as if you're looking through a mirror. So if you, well, depending on your backface visibility setting. So if you, um, if you have, uh, say, a page animation where instead of sliding from one page to the next, you want to do a flip, which is pretty common in, in a lot of sort of mobile U, UIs, um, you have to manage that because, you know, you flip, what you actually do is you, the, the, the outgoing page, you flip to 180. So it's kind of like facing you infinitely thin. And then the other one, you start infinitely thin and flip, like, like rotate it down, but you have to set the, yeah, you have to set the back face visibility or you'll see the back of the one that's underneath it. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So if you imagine flipping a card over, you know, a card that has text on both sides, if the card's made out of glass, then you're going to see everything all the way through. So uh, anyway, so that's what it, that's what it's for when you flip an element over to control what the back looks like. Mm Mm-hmm. The thing that people use it for, because hardly anybody ever uses it for that. Which is probably why I'd never heard of, never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only reason I ever heard it is because of the, because of <clears throat> doing page transitions for JQ touch way, way, way back. And, uh, but the, the other thing that people use it for is because you hardly ever actually use it. You mm-hmm. can set it on like asterisk. So you asterisk selector and then say back face visibility, um, uh, visible or whatever you just just any setting and what it does is it takes the rendering for all those elements and it forces it to the gpu yeah see I, i'd always just used an, an empty an empty 3d transform for that yeah there you go that's another another common way to do it so the the a lot of times adding that will remove janky animations because it uh, is b- being done on a chip that's better for that and probably not as busy as the main CPU. Yeah, it's funny because most most CSS rendering bugs, doing that will fix them, not cost them. <laughs> yeah, it's the first time I've seen it cause a bug. So we researched it <clears throat> uh, in order to kind of try and get our heads around it. And w- one of the things I came across... One of the things I came across in the research, and I don't know that it's related, is that um, is that there is sort of known conflict or a known bug. Wait, is this the exact same thing? There's a known bug between when you're using background size cover and um, position, uh, sorry, uh, attachment fixed. Um, no, I think that's I think it's completely different. Um, yeah, I think, I think what, this, what this had to do with um, is, is that um, the, the back face visibility stuff happens after all of the other animations on the page. And since we had inline uh, CSS transforms for various effects on that background image, 
Um, I think that was just like the, the stacking order of CSS animations was getting screwed up. Hmm. Was, was what I got out of it. But I, I could be wrong, but that was... But so I mean, it, was, it was funny, though, because backspace... or <laughs> Backspace visibility. <laughs> backface visibility was not being applied to, to the background. It was being applied to an image tag. And we weren't even using an image tag... Like it was like it wasn't an image tag that we had the other transformations on. Right, it's totally a bug. Yeah, it, it has to be a bug because that rule didn't even right. Like you said, it doesn't even apply to the element that was going bonkers. Right, and what interested or what I found interesting was that um, uh, Firefox and Chrome both have similar but slightly different versions of this bug. Like I actually I found the bug report for Mozilla. I, mm. I didn't see one for Chrome, but I didn't look too closely. Mm. And um, so, so I mean, it's it's an issue. It doesn't seem to be just a Chrome thing. I mean, it just must be a thing that's just really complicated and hard to deal with. But uh, I was just going to say, it must maybe it's a WebKit thing, but it wouldn't be if it was Firefox too. So, dear listener, this should make you happy that you don't build browsers because <laughs> it's obviously <laughs> yes. it's it is so obviously far really beyond. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine how complicated it is to think of all the potential? downstream effects of adding in a s one simple thing. Yeah, you talk, about, like you talk thing. about needing to do progressive enhancement. <laughs> yeah. Holy cannoli. So that was a fun bug. Um, you can, is there any, is there any place that we can point them to? Uh, uh, you know, uh, I'll try after we get done recording real quick and see if I can do like a, like a JS fiddle or a code pin or something to replicate it. That'd be cool. That would be cool. Cause it is a desktop thing. So yeah, you can actually view those on the desktop. Well, that was a good one. Um, let's see. So do we have, I don't think we have any other bugs. Mm, I don't think so. Um, I've been, I've been playing with some new things, but I'm not far enough into, into them yet that I want to talk about them. So. All right, cool. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Um, cool. So shall we dive into the feature? Sure. Excellent. So this week, um, this is definitely kicking the hornet's nest type of conversation. Um, maybe we should preface it by saying that I don't think, I don't think we're going to come up with like rules or answers for sure, but I think it's a conversation that, uh, is worth having and at least thinking about. Yeah. I don't think there are any hard and fast answers, but it's good to be conscious of all of the, all of the, all of the things. Right. And the thing is the difference between a website and a web app. And we, uh, sort of the, the, there's a, it's a big religious debate, you know, native versus web and also websites versus web apps. And two people that I think are, you know, I greatly admire and agree with on virtually all things are Jerry McKeith and Bruce L., Bruce Lawson. And Bruce, uh, in particular, well, Jeremy's done a bunch of blogging about this, and, and we'll, we can link to it in the show notes, and I'm sure we'll refer to some of those as we're talking. But uh, Bruce just did an amazing video. Uh, or, well, I just came across it like a week ago. Yeah, I think so. I think it's about a year old now, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it was his keynote from uh, Future Insights, I think. And so I was looking through to see what the past keynotes had been, and sure enough, there's Bruce Lawson, and he had a he had a talk called "Breaking the Web" or something, something like that. Yeah, I believe it was "Breaking the Web." Yeah. So he took this very funny approach where he um, <clears throat> he sort of positioned himself as someone who thought that was a good idea, right? And went through, and he's like, you know. Here are, the, here are the reasons why. Here are the reasons. Yeah, here are the best possible ways that you can break the web because we don't want any of that hippie. Shit. It was just, it was just super funny, uh, but also kind of 
I mean, poignant, I guess is the word that came to mind because he brings up a lot of stuff that's like, this isn't just, this isn't just, um, stuff you should do because, uh, of some ivory tower consideration. Yeah. It's stuff because you should do it because if you don't, 40% of the world population won't be able to access this content. Yeah. So there's lots of stuff, lots of stuff where he's like, you, you should do this and that way no one from China can come to your site and no one from India can come to your site and you should do this if you don't want cripples on your site. His words, <laughs> his words, not mine. And he, and it was like, he's like, so if you just want to design, you should really just want to design for the kind of phones that you and your friends have. And, you know, <laughs> it's just really funny. And you can imagine. Right. It reminds me when the iPhone first came out and everyone, everyone's mobile site was like, it just worked on an iPhone. Yeah. I'm so guilty of that. Cause I was like, I was like the first big contributor to JQ touch, which essentially was, was a way to make, um, websites look like iPhone apps in, mm -hmm. but only in Safari. <laughs> so it was like, it was, it was web, WebKit only. And like looking back on it, I have a lot of, uh, I think Shame. we were, yeah, well, we were barking up the wrong tree <laughs> basically. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> the, yeah, but it, it was new back then and everybody was trying to figure out what to do with it. So. Yeah. There are no other phones at the time. Like there, yeah. it was the only one. So anyway, the, the point is that, um, and I would number myself among these people. There's a, this sort of web hippies that think that uh, you should make your content accessible to the widest group of people. And that means writing semantic HTML and then, uh, you know, marking it up appropriately and adding CSS as a secondary layer and then progressively enhancing with JavaScript. And if you want to use a cut the mustard test, or I'm not a huge fan of polyfills, but that's another way to do it. And, you know, you just progressively enhance like crazy off of semantic markup. And it's a, it's a great approach. And, um, and so I do agree with all these guys about all that stuff. And I, but I know that you, cause we've had conversations about this. I know you mm -hmm. and I, when you get down to some nitty gritty, like, what am I going to do today type of decisions? And you're yeah, not, I think, I think we're, we're different. Yeah. It's like when you're on stage and you're saying, oh, this is the way things should be. That's one thing. But when you actually have to code something, right. you have to make a decision. And, and there's sort of two, two things to, two, two, I think vectors that you can come at this from. One is that there's a difference between building a website and building a web app. Yes. And so Jeremy Keith would, if he were on the line, he would say, that's BS. He would say, everything's a website. If, you know, and then he would say, is, uh, is Facebook a website or a web app? Or, you know, he would, and he has all these great examples mm -hmm. where it's really hard to answer the question. Yeah, but but just because it's hard doesn't mean there's not an answer, right? And I, I mean, I, I I tend to disagree very strongly that there is no difference between a website and a web app. Mm -hmm. And so the thing that he brings up is that the reason why he does not like the term web app is because people use it as a get out of jail free card um, on the uh, accessibility angle. And oh, that that I can that I can I can understand. Yeah, I totally agree with that, and he's right. People do do that. But there's a very practical difference between building a website and building a web app, even if you're just thinking about staffing, like who's going to yeah. do it. So like if you're building a website, you're going to have a whole bunch of people that are like content experts and you're going to have to, it's going to be a very content heavy thing. There's going to be a CMS right. workflow. There's going to be all of that sort of thing. Uh, you probably don't have a bug tracker for your website. Probably you, not. Yeah. If, if your, your WordPress site probably doesn't have a bug tracker, but it does have 
there's editors and contributing authors and yeah. Right. And you probably don't have um, a whole bunch of what I would consider wacky deployment issues. And, you know, it's like you're not worrying about reverse proxying stuff and like having there's a million. Yeah, things. There's, there's no job queue. There's no. <laughs> yeah, there's a million things that you have to do on a web app that are completely different skill set than a website. And yes, I yeah. realize they're made even, with the same technologies, even if it's a even a very large content site. Yeah, it gets it's to gonna, a point. It's going to be vastly different. Yeah, yeah. It just gets to a point where you need to decide who to hire for something. And if and a web app is a really easy way to encapsulate <clears throat> a lot of a lot of information. You know, it, it's it probably is going to have job queues, and it probably is going to have reverse proxies, and it probably is going to have you. You probably are going to have to scale it across multiple um, like EC2 instances or whatever. You yeah, know. you'll have to load balance things and decide where you want to terminate the SSL certificate. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's a million things that you do not have to worry about on a website. Um, so. So then that, that sort of got me thinking, and I've argued with Jeremy a lot over the years, like every time I see him, it comes up <laughs> and I just refuse to agree with him that there's no, no difference between the two things. Yeah. There's, there, there's a difference. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's creating and interacting with creating content versus consuming it because most of the, most web apps have you creating something. Yes. Not all of them, but most of them have you creating something. So for me, that's kind of a good guideline. You're either, you're either creating content or you're heavily manipulating it in some way. Right. So that's a perfect segue into into some of the stuff we think are kind of like litmus test for determining mm -hmm. what thing what thing it is. Like is your is your web thing an app or a site? Yes, exactly. Your web thing. Um <clears throat> I the the thing that always strikes me is I've found that um when I'm working on a web app, I almost always prevent Google from indexing it mm -hmm. one way or another. Because you don't want first of all, there's nothing to index. You know, you don't really want it indexed. Right. And, just, they'd be indexing a user interface. Right. <laughs> like an empty user interface. Right. <laughs> and so, and that's kind of a shorthand term for, um, you know, like sites, sites that have a login. If you, if your site has a login, it's probably an app. Well, I don't know. I mean, you could say something like uh, New York Times says paywall content. Yep, yep. I totally agree. There's exceptions like paywall uh, and things like that, but probably. In, in general, it's a good, it's a good indicator that you need to stop and, and, and ask yourself, like, am I making an app or a site mm -hmm. at, at the very least? Mm -hmm. And so another, it's sort of related, but another thing about it is that if, if, and I almost want to say on the page level or at the, at the um, URL level, does your site have anonymous users of any kind? So for example, with sticky albums is a great example because there's a, what we call the marketing site, mm -hmm. which is, it's got lots of anonymous users on it. They're non-customers who are coming to the marketing site to look at the pricing tables and look at the features and yeah, yeah. Read blog posts and all that stuff. That is a website. Yes, very clearly. Yeah. And it is therefore responsive and it is therefore fast and it is therefore, uh, I think it's even static. So there are all these things that all of these design decisions, like structural Architectural mm -hmm. design decisions that were made about that site for those reasons. Yeah, and the two the two servers are configured vastly different. Totally different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not just some random LAMP server with like the default junk on it. So the flip side, the builder interface has first of all, it's it's behind a login. There's nothing to index on it. There's no reason to index it. There's um, a you know, compared to the global internet browsing population, there's an incredibly small user base. 
and we know lots about them and we're in constant contact with every single one of them via email yeah. and otherwise. Yeah, so we have for, support departments dedicated to that. Right. So we didn't spend as much time, you know, and, and there are pieces of the user interface that don't even make sense on a phone, like uh, uploading tons of high resolution images that were taken with a DSLR camera. Right. So there's just all these reasons why mobiles, we definitely did not build it mobile first. It's responsive a bit. It's fairly yeah, fluid. It's, it's responsive-ish. It's responsive-ish, but we definitely don't test it on mobile. We didn't design it mobile first, and it's it's really a desktop only experience. It, it would it would it would laugh at you if you went to it without JavaScript. <laughs> exactly, and so this that's the kind of thing that would like flip a lot of people out. And in fact, it kind of flips me out when it. But it only flips me out when it's someone's default. Like I'm a web developer, and by default, I build everything that dependent on JavaScript, and I, so. That that bothers me as a default, but if you mm -hmm. have business reasons to not worry about that and not spend the money testing on those other interfaces that you literally know nobody is using. Yeah, like we we would get zero benefit out of having the the builder application and sticky albums be fully progressively enhanced and, and fully responsive. Yeah, zero. We would just we would lose a bunch of time and money. Uh-huh. So I feel like I feel like um so I'll, so now I'll flip around and I'll put on the, the Jeremy shoes Okay. and I'll say, okay, fine. You've got a, a known user base of, you know, whatever thousand people, however many it is, I don't even know. What if you are the only bank in your country that has a login uh, and it doesn't work on mobile? So what does that mean? That means that it nobody... means you haven't paid attention to your audience. But it also means you're shutting out a huge portion of the population who's now forced to be non, like basically non-banking. Right, but you're but you're not saying web apps shouldn't be responsive and shouldn't be progressively enhanced. It's not saying that just because you have a web app you can forego all of this stuff. It's just saying that if you have, you can you can make those decisions if your if your audience if it suits your audience. If your audience is like if you're the only if you're the only bank in Kenya and 80% of the people accessing your web presence are doing so over dumb phones, then you can't go, oh, I'm a web app and use that as an excuse not to not to support them. But people do. So like well, that's just dumb. <laughs> yes, it is. But that's but in that and Bruce brought that one up in uh, in his talk that um, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it was kind of like the bank forced. There was some kind of bank uh, banking regulation that. They required that you use ActiveX, but right. there was some, I, I don't remember it exactly. You'll have to watch the keynote. It's only 30 minutes long. Highly recommend it. But, you know, basically the entire general public was locked out of participating in the banking system. And the people who were in charge of the banking system were totally cool with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So in like health and human services stuff, like there are logins for, the, for government sites. If I want to go renew my driver's license or something. I used to have to use Internet Explorer to pay my, you know, garbage pickup bill. There was a there's a certain synchronicity to that. But <laughs> wait, say that again. Using Internet Explorer to to have to pay for the trash pickup. Oh, <laughs> that went right past me. That's funny. <laughs> but yeah, today I, today's the end of the month. I went in to pay my mortgage online, and I you know they this is this kills me. They just redid their site. It's brand mm -hmm. new site, and like now all of a sudden it's. Uh, really slow, but okay, okay, maybe they'll figure that out. 
But the first thing I see when I come to this site is this huge banner across the top. And I'm on my computer, okay? I'm on like mm -hmm. a Mac in Chrome. Right. You're not even browsing on a phone. No, brand new site. And right across the top, it says, you're not getting the best experience. You should switch over to um, Internet Explorer or Firefox. And I'm like, there's like so many things wrong with that. It's like you, you, you paid money for someone to do this to you. Yeah. Not even like if you're going to detect, can you at least detect that I'm on a Mac and not recommend Internet Explorer? Right. <laughs> and it's like, it's just so wrong. And of course, Chrome works fine. So like mm -hmm. I went through it, it worked totally fine. But uh, other than it being painfully slow, but you literally, <clears throat> it's one of those sites that's literally unusable on a mobile phone. So you have to go to a desktop and it's, an, it's, you know, it's not a bank, but you can imagine there's plenty of credit card sites like this. Mm -hmm. where general public has a credit card, but they have to, in order to participate in any of the, you know, modern convenience features of these kinds of services, they have to get to a desktop machine, which is, you know, like something like 30% of the people in the U.S. that don't have, uh, that have uh, smartphones, that's the only device they use to browse the internet. Oh, what, what gets me is, is websites that belong to like mobile phone companies that aren't responsive. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, you, you go to T-Mobile's website on your phone and try and log in and do anything. It's like, you can't. Oh, you don't know how much that kills me. I actually went to T-Mobile and consulted them about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's still like that. Uh, I don't know. I haven't used T-Mobile in a long time. Oh, okay. Hopefully like it's a, not. Like at least like a year. Anyway, so, so I feel like we're kind of I, like a little bit talking out of both sides of my mouth here with the, with the you know, if you... If you have a login or you don't want Google to index it, then you've got a web app. But to your point, it doesn't mean you can ignore all this other stuff, but it does mean that, you know, there's still a difference between a website and a web app, and you might want to apply your business rules a little bit differently. Right. You still don't get a get out of jail free card by requiring JavaScript for everyone. But, but it, it sort of it sort of gives you license to take a closer look at the traffic you've got coming in and error not or and the way your people are using it and and ask them and, and look at look at their technologies that they're using it with and their behaviors. Right. So I, I guess what I would say is that if <clears throat> assuming that your application falls into a category like that, I would, I would potentially say, you know what, I agree with your decision and it's fine, but there are plenty of, plenty of situations where I'd be like, <laughs> no, you're just keeping people out because yeah. you're not that great at your job. Yeah. Doing a, doing a web app instead of a website, there's clearly a difference, but the app doesn't, Using an app doesn't give you an excuse to not do the other things, but it gives you the opportunity to look and, and say, okay, do I, do I really need to do all of this? Yeah, it's a question of adaptability versus yeah. optimization. And if you have a, a relatively small known user base, optimize, go ahead. Mm -hmm. You know, will that limit you in the future? Maybe uh, it depends, you know, so but just don't just don't default to like, okay, first of all, you have to have JavaScript. Yeah. Which brings me to my, the other point. Like, so this is the other angle around the whole thing. Where do you draw the line? Right. Cause this all, this all came about with our, our discussion about app versus website when I was, I was uh, looking into Ember earlier this week. Mm, yes. Which I'm looking forward to talking about maybe next week or the week yeah. after. So it does look pretty cool. And they do, Ember does a lot of things right. Like they don't break the URL and all that stuff, but we'll get into that then. But, but it is obviously completely JavaScript dependent. There's no like mm -hmm. fallback for no JavaScript. Yeah. And that is super irritating to, um, that's actually kind of irritating to me, but it drives Jeremy crazy. And, and, and I'm like, okay, I can see that argument. I can see why that drives you crazy. 
But does it drive you crazy that um, that Minecraft's not available in a browser? You know, is that an accessibility issue? Is, should it be incumbent on Mojang to make a web version of of Minecraft so that it's accessible to people? Like, so what I'm getting at is like, I was like, where do you draw the line? Does everything have to be on the web? And <clears throat> so the things that the things that he he always calls out, and Bruce and me even, mm-hmm. they the things that we all call out are things that are on the web, but we think are on the web in a way that is bad. But would it be better if they weren't on the web at all and they were just native apps on iOS? Would that make everybody not mad? You know what I mean? Is it is it better or worse that it's on the web at all? Yeah. It's like, are you just are you just mad because this isn't? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like right. Yeah. So then there are other. If you really want to think about it, then it's like, well, you know, for maximum accessibility, if that's our goal, and it is, that's like you know, but it's it's not it's not you can't just say you're done. Like you're never done because, oh, well, is it, is the website owner's responsibility to translate it into every language? Right. Is it our responsibility to transcribe every single one of these podcasts? Is it our responsibility to, to have the podcast translated audio wise into every language? Like at what point have you done enough? Uh-huh. And clearly I'm sure neither of them would say, oh yeah, that's what you have to do. You should, when you guys finish, you should then have it translated into 64 languages and you should have all of those transcribed so that if anybody in any of those 64 languages can't, or is deaf or something, then they can just read it or. Yeah. Or we should, we should link to specific timestamps within the video or within the audio. Yeah. There's like a million, like, do do they think audio shouldn't be on the way? So, so I'm thinking about all this and I'm like, okay, you you know, obviously you have to draw the line somewhere. There's no Mm -hmm. way that anybody would ever put a blog up if they were sort of encumbered by all of the. Right. And there's no way that anyone would reasonably expect someone to go to those links. Yeah, I don't think so. And probably the answer is, oh, well, Google Translate and all that. But but still, that doesn't answer everything. And <clears throat> and so then I got to thinking like, well, what exactly, what's the piece of it that annoys us? And I think it might be that the people, let's just let's just focus on like the, the JavaScript sites. Okay. I think the thing that might bother people is that those people that do that all the time call themselves web developers. If they called themselves JavaScript developers, I don't think anyone would be annoyed. <laughs> and I would also argue that that the builder, for example, or sites sites that have a uh, a login aren't actually on the web. In the in the if you if you in look the general sense in the in this they're in on the, the internet, right? They're JavaScript applications delivered over the internet. They're not on the web, really. Right, I and mean, you can you access it by URL, but it's not like a. A web page that gets crawled and it's content that's searchable and you can you can discover it and share it and right. Yeah. So I think an application like an application built with Ember that just has an empty body tag, it's not actually on the web. Right. It's a JavaScript application delivered over HTTP. T- that's easy for me to say. HTTP toilet paper. What? HTTP. Yeah, I'm gonna HTTP your car. But you, you know what I mean? Like now all of a sudden, if I say that, like if I say, oh, I'm a, I'm a Xbox developer, that's not going to, like if somebody tells me they're an Xbox developer, I'm not going to be getting their face. Get, yeah, like, oh, you should. mad like, cause you're like, oh, your game doesn't work on the PS4. Yeah. That's not accessible. How am I supposed to, how am I supposed to browse that on my phone? You yeah. know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. So you could kind of argue that 
that that a JavaScript application, like if I'm just a JavaScript developer, I write Node applications, I write client side stuff, I write stuff that's delivered over HTTP. Who cares? You know, I don't know. I feel like I, I wonder where. I wonder. I would love next time I see these guys, I'm going to be like, where where do you draw the line in terms of? Because I get it. Like they don't want the yeah. web to break. But I honestly, yeah, I get it too. I don't think you could break the web if you wanted to. But of course, Bruce is from Opera, and they, as a browser company, basically had to switch their rendering engine because nobody was using WebKit pre, uh, nobody was using Opera vendor prefixes, and so they had to start respecting WebKit vendor prefixes. And then eventually, they're like, "Why are we bothering with this? Let's just switch to WebKit, and we'll differentiate um, the other parts of the user interface and services." Right. And you know, and he has a great point, which is like, you know. He puts up a tweet where he's like, monoculture, you know, why wish he's like, web developers should be scared of, of wishing for WebKit everywhere. And he's like, cause nothing ever changes. And he shows this graph of like Netscape market share, which was at a hundred percent, you know, for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden it's gone. He's like, nothing ever changes. So why not just, you know, point everything at WebKit? Which is a good point. Yeah, it's true. But I, you know, This this is something, something, something standards. Yeah, and the monoculture thing, I feel like there's, we've talked about this before because I remember saying the same thing, which is like, nobody fights about HTTP. No one talks about TCP IP. It's, right. It works. It's done. It's still version one and it's done. Yeah. So maybe the rendering engine is done. I'm sure that elicited screams. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear them. We haven't even released it yet and I can hear people screaming. I was kind of holding back myself. <laughs> But I okay, it's not. But will it ever be? Like, at what point do we say, okay, Probably the rendering not. engine's done? I guess it's. I guess it's got a visible component. Like nobody cares what H what TCP IP looks like. Like, is there going to be an HTML six? Uh, no. That's why the doc type now is just HTML. I mean, though, in the spec, it'll probably be called six. Yeah. But <clears throat> I don't know. So you, uh, you get my point, though. Yes. Like, like, is HTML ever done? Some things are done, though. Well, how come HTML can't be done? Right, right. Anyway, so the th- the thing that the thing that I think is worth thinking about is that HTML and the web are not the same thing. HTTP is not the web. The internet's not the web. The browser is not the web. All of these things that were we all sort of considered one thing for a long time, it's really breaking out. Like a lot, the majority of web pages on iOS are viewed inside of Facebook, which is not a browser. Right. Offline and web are no longer mutually exclusive. There's all these weird things that have happened in the last like five or 10 years that I feel like the vocabulary of the entire industry needs to get a little bit more sophisticated. You know, people use mobile for everything. Mm-hmm. Like the web's dead. Mobile's everything. <laughs> but mobile is, yeah. Well, there's web on that mobile, you know. There's web on mobile. Yeah. Lots of web on mobile. More and more web on mobile than native on mobile. Yeah. So anyway, I so I think the takeaway is to to sort of think about these terms and but at the end of the day, the main thing you have to remember is that Jeremy Keith is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's the most important. If you get nothing else from this podcast, it's that Jeremy Keith is wrong. <laughs> I love Jeremy. He's he is a he's the poet of the web. He's the best, but there is such thing as a web app, Jeremy. Yes, there is. There is. <clears throat> I agree with him but, on but absolutely I agree everything with him else. That it's not a get out of jail free card to, to right. just I mean it's nothing new. People have been doing it for years so as long as there have been as long as there has been technology that's only been supported by the latest browser. People have been doing this. 
Mm-hmm. And it's just incredibly short-sighted. You would think that it would be bad for a business to to engage in bad, what we consider bad practices. Like, I don't think these practices are, I don't think responsive web design is the right way to do things. I think it's the easiest. Yeah. You just end up getting, there's so many fewer bugs to deal with. It's so much easier. And you're instantly reaching so many, potentially so many more customers. Yeah. Which maybe you don't care about, but it's just easier. Like progressive enhancement is just easier. So that's just a little thought-provoking show for you this week, dear listener. That's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. We hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. Bye. Bye.